Good morning. It is so nice to be back with you. Um, I had planned a really fiery sermon, but given that the sprinkler system is not working, I'll see if I can tone it down just a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I was invited to preach uh, on this Sunday because of what the gospel is for today. Uh, who in their rightful mind would choose such thing? Uh, and those of you who grew up like I did, being told that Jesus was meek and mild, those people clearly had not read this part of Matthew's gospel. Um, I, uh, I was saying earlier, uh, this is one of those passages you just should not read in church <laughs> if, if you're not going to preach on it. Uh, and there are more of those in scripture than you would imagine, which sort of leaves me, leads me to believe that, I don't know, the pre-Reformation folks might have been right about uh, giving the Bible out to just anybody to read <laughs> and telling them that, well, all you have to do is just read it. Well, actually, uh, it takes more than that. And everything you need to read the Bible, you didn't learn in kindergarten. So uh, we'll see if we can uh, unpack this a bit today. Um, uh, and it did occur to me that there are no Christmas cards, to my knowledge, that says, I did not come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword, Merry Christmas. <laughs> and not likely to happen anytime soon, either. Okay, so just a little review here. There are four Gospels, three synoptic Gospels that are synopses of Jesus' life. And, and of course, the Gospel of John being uh, completely different. It's basically a theological reflection on the life of Jesus. Uh, Mark is the earliest Gospel, uh, written in the 60s or 70s, not, not the 1960s or 70s, but the real 60s or 70s. Then Matthew and Luke uh, wrote their gospel. They had a copy of Mark in front of them, as well as a, a document that uh, we call the Q document for, um, I'm, I think, quotations. It's basically a, a gathering of, of sayings that people remembered Jesus saying. All this, of course, is happening you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years after Jesus' uh, crucifixion and death and resurrection. Um, Matthew was writing for Jews. Uh, Luke was writing for outsiders, uh, Gentiles, and so on. But, but the focus for Matthew was Jews. His, his whole purpose was to convince Jews that Jesus was the, the Messiah that, that they had been waiting for. And by the time he wrote this, um, in the, let's say, 70s or 80s, uh, there had been a lot of division, mother against uh, daughter, father against son. Uh, he was not just uh, speculating here. He knew that this is exactly what was happening to those who uh, uh, joined this new fledgling community, which we would come to know as the early church. And so he, he is uh, trying to prepare folks for the notion that, you know, it's going to cost something if you follow this Jesus. And so, uh, and we, we get this, this um, 
uh, this saying, uh, two or three sentences of Jesus, without any context. Uh, so it's up to you and me to think about context, right? Um, I get asked a question like this all the time. Um, uh, most often it's a young, uh, gay, Roman Catholic man standing up during Q&A and saying, Bishop, my church says that I'm intrinsically disordered. My parents won't let me come home. And what should I do? What should I do? And part of what I try to say to them is, uh, you're, you're doing the right thing, and, and what's happening to you from your church, from your family, and so on, um, people like Matthew said would happen if you lay claim to the love that God has for us in Jesus Christ. Because not everybody is going to be happy uh, that you think God loves you that much. So it, it, this, this saying, is it's not a threat. It's just a description of what is already happening in the early church and, to be honest, uh, has been happening ever since. Um, so um, we need to, uh, uh, again, take this in uh, context and, and, and honestly be thankful that we are Episcopalians who read scripture in context. Right? We actually care about what the person who wrote it or said it meant, about what the people who heard it for the first time thought it meant, before we ask the question of, and is there anything about the context changed and should guide how we understand this scripture? So it's, it's not as simple uh, as, as it looks. Um, and of course, you know, uh, people who ask questions about like, oh, Bishop, what should I do? What they want is to avoid the conflict. But I mean, like who, who wants it, right? Who, who would actually walk toward it? Except that conflict, um, well, it, it just happens when you tell the truth about yourself and about the depth, breadth of God's love for us. You know, there's a, uh, those of us, uh, some of us are old enough to remember back in the wedding service, you used to, uh, the bride and groom would say to each other, I plight thee my troth, right? Nobody knew what that meant, <laughs> but, but it sounded incredibly holy and, and you suspect you would want to do it. Uh, actually, troth is the old version of truth. So it's, it's, it's quite an astounding thing to say to your spouse-to-be. I pledge to you my truth. That's not about like, did you pick up the milk on your way home? It's about like, who are you? I mean, what an astounding thing to say to someone, I'm going to do the very best I can day in and day out in love to tell you who I really am and hope and pray that you'll love me anyway. It, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. And when you do that, what Matthew is saying is you'll always get in trouble, right? You'll always get in trouble if you try 
to approach the world in that kind of an open way. It, it just happens. Um, in, the, in the South, I, I grew up in Kentucky, which no one in the South would consider the South, <laughs> but uh, we did have grits. <laughs> and uh, it reminds me of the story of the fellow who goes into a restaurant, probably in Alabama or Mississippi, Mississippi, not Mississippi, and orders uh, bacon and eggs and toast. And when it arrives, there's this pile of white stuff with a big pat of butter in the middle of it on his plate. And he says, what's this? The waiter says, uh, those are grits. And the fellow says, well, I didn't order grits. And the waiter says, you don't order grits. They just come. <laughs> and Matthew is saying, if you follow this guy, trouble's going to come. It, it, you don't have to look for it. It's just going to come. And it, it struck me in thinking about this passage, like, so if that's the case, if that's what happens when you follow Jesus, I mean, do we really want to be Christ-like? I mean, he was in trouble all the time, <laughs> right? All the way, literally to the end. And yet, as Christians, we so easily say we're trying to be Christ-like. Really? <laughs> really? Think about that. Do we want that? So it, it's, under, it's important to understand also that uh, in, in this particular section of Matthew's Gospel, um, Matthew is trying to communicate what discipleship is and what, what it will look like. And, and basically the difference between a disciple and an apostle is that a disciple is a learner and an apostle is someone who's been given a message to proclaim. But honestly, we never stop being learners, do we? We are always, always disciples. And so um, uh, Matthew is trying to prepare us for, for what's gonna happen What's going to come just like grits, whether you want it or not? Um, so I know a thing or two about conflict. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I, uh, uh, 20 years ago, 20 years and about three weeks ago, I was elected bishop uh, and consecrated on All Saints Sunday of 2003. 50 years ago, I was uh, ordained a priest. So it's a, it's a big anniversary. You're not the only ones having a big anniversary. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. And, um, you know, I had daily death threats for about two and a half years. Um, the Archbishop of Kenya said that uh, when I was consecrated, Satan entered the church. The Archbishop of Nigeria said that gay people were lower than the dogs, and those were some of the nicer things said to me and about me. I used to um, say something that I, I actually believe with my whole heart, but partly I said it just because I knew it would make them crazy. I used to say, I'm going to be in heaven with those two guys. <laughs> and they're going to be a whole lot more surprised to see me than I am to see them. <laughs> And uh, given the fact that we're going to spend eternity together, maybe we ought to try to learn to get along right here uh, because I am unwilling 
to treat them anything less than the child of God they are. It doesn't matter how they treat me. So, um, so I know a little about conflict and about the kind of trouble that comes when you try to follow Jesus. Um, and I have to just take a moment of personal privilege here, and I think I can do this without crying. Uh, the hymn that we just sang, uh, Let Us Build a House Where Love Can Dwell, All Are Welcome, All Are Welcome in This Place. In 2008, uh, for the first time in history, a bishop was excluded from the Lambeth Conference, the Worldwide Lambeth Conference of Bishops. That was me. I was not invited to that conference. I went anyway uh, because I am a troublemaker. I didn't go anywhere I wasn't invited, but I wanted to be right outside the gate to remind those bishops in there that back home in Africa and Asia and everywhere else, there were people just like me sitting in their pews. I was not gonna let them meet for three weeks and not have to acknowledge that. Unfortunately, I was left on the outside of that conference with all the media. <laughs> I was on every channel, every hour. Anyway, that's another story. But here's my point. This hymn, All Are Welcome, was the opening hymn at the opening festival Eucharist of that Lambeth Conference. Takes your breath away, doesn't it? So trouble will find you. It'll just It'll just come like grits. <laughs> so being a disciple, I've been trying to learn, and I'm going to save you a lot of trouble, and I'm going to tell you what I've learned so you don't have to go through all that. <laughs> My first learning, number one, if you preach a God who is too loving, you'll get into trouble, big trouble. You want to preach a God who is uh, uh, full of condemnation and judgment and wrath? Uh, nobody, will, nobody will bother you. But if, if you posit a God who is so loving as to bring all of us to God's bosom in love, to love us as we are, to always want for us to be better, but to love us as we are, all of us, where all of us are welcome, you will take all kinds of grief for it. Trust me. The second is um, thing that I've learned is that God actually asks more of us than the church is willing to. The church is afraid to push you too hard. I mean, you make pledges after all. You sign those checks and all kinds of other reasons that we in the church are just nervous about pushing you too hard. There's just too many other things to be doing on a Sunday morning. But God is not hesitant one bit to call you to be the very best you can be in God's name to actually exhibit God's love for the world, for all of the world in its fullest. And God does that 
knowing that you're going to get into trouble for it, as God well knows. Number three, gospel trouble, or as John Lewis, uh, the uh, congressman used to say, good trouble, uh, keeps me humble. Um, humility, we say in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, is uh, humility is being right-sized. It's not like it's not like pretending to be a doormat or or saying you're you're not talented when you are. That's not humility. Humility is seeing yourself in perspective to the rest of the world in a way that's true and good. And getting into gospel trouble reminds you of what the world is actually like and how hard it is to counter all of the forces that work against God's love. Uh, number, number four is that when you get into trouble and, and you tell your truth, when you plight your troth and, and tell your truth about who you are to someone or to many people and to the world, you are on a spiritual path. That is a spiritual experience to lay claim to who you are. I mean, we all have got something to come out about. You don't have to be LGBTQ uh, to, to uh, come out. There is something that you'd just rather people not know about you because you fear that if they knew it, they wouldn't love you. So we all need to come out about something or some things. And when we do, that journey to being brave enough to do that is a spiritual journey. It's why LGBTQ people make great clergy. <laughs> I'm serious. Because they have had to go on that spiritual journey just to survive. It's, it's not something extra. It's the thing that helps you survive. Um, let's see, I'm on about number four or five here. Uh, there's a way to tell the difference between that little voice in your head being God's voice or that, that little voice in your head being your own ego doing a magnificent impression of God's voice. <laughs> and I've spent a lot of my time doing that. And I've, I've figured out a, a, a pretty quick way to tell which is which. If that little voice in your head is telling you to do something you desperately don't want to do, it's probably God. <laughs> if, it's, if there's something you know you probably should do it, but you certainly want to avoid the trouble it's going to cause, it's probably God. If that little voice is telling you to do what you already wanted to do, it's probably your own ego doing a magnificent impression of God's voice. And lastly, the reason for this conflict and this risk-taking and this plighting our troth and being true to who we are, the reason it's so rewarding is that you meet God there. Whatever it is that's at the center of all that is that you and I would attach the name God to, 
somehow it's mixed up in that vulnerability of laying claim to who you are, and especially to lay claim to it to someone else. And to know that no matter how that interaction goes, God will love you anyway. I will tell you how I got through a decade of this trouble, is that I had one secret weapon. I knew that God loved me beyond anything I could imagine or describe, and nothing and nobody could take that away from me. Nobody. And in comparison to that knowledge, all of the trouble, it's not big potatoes. It's just, it's just no big whoop. Because at the end of the day, I am loved by that which is at the center of all that is. And nobody can take that away. So God wants you to get into trouble. That's what it means to be Christ-like. Now, you can do that on a personal level. You can also do it kind of on a communal level. On a personal level, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's talking to a spouse or a child or a parent about an addiction that is pretty clear to everyone. Maybe it's naming a family issue. Maybe it has to do with violence or, or neglect or anger or whatever, but finding the courage to bring it up and see it through. Maybe it's talking politics and religion at the Thanksgiving dinner table, <laughs> just like your mother told you never to do. Maybe, maybe it begins with saying, I'm sorry. Or even harder sometimes, I forgive you. Those are, those are scary, awful things because you're coming clean about who you are. And in it, you get to meet God. Or on a broader scale, what, what, what does this trouble look like? What does this risk-taking look like? Well, these days, it's speaking up for democracy, standing up for and fighting to maintain the democracy, which is under a greater threat than I've ever seen in my lifetime. And why would I bring that up in a sermon? The reason we believe in democracy is that it offers the greatest good for the greatest number of people. It is not perfect, but it is actually based on loving your neighbor as yourself. And that is a system worth fighting for and resisting all those who would tear it apart. Maybe it looks like um, when someone calls you woke, thanking them. Because you know what woke was? Well, before woke, it was politically correct. Do you know what it was before politically correct? It was the gospel. What people are talking about is caring enough about the, respecting the dignity of every human being enough to call them the name they want to be called, to treat them like the child of God they are, to care about what happens to them and to work with them and to honor them as the child of God 
created and loved by God. Be proud of it. Wear it, wear it like, a, like an award, like a scout badge. Maybe it means standing up and standing with transgender folks. And if you don't know what that is, then the first step is getting yourself educated and meeting some trans folks and hearing their stories. I promise you, it will change your life. Maybe it's welcoming those people who are streaming across our border seeking asylum. I know immigration reform is incredibly complex and difficult and fraught with danger. But in the meantime, can we treat those people like the children of God they are? When the governor of Texas puts a busload of migrants on a bus and sends them to Washington, D.C., they unload at my parish in DuPont Circle, St. Thomas. It has completely transformed us. It has completely transformed us. We now have um, trans, uh, simultaneous translation equipment for everyone in the congregation. So we can do uh, our services in all kinds of languages to help folks feel welcome. We take care of their kids while they get showers and we help them find ways to reach uh, relatives somewhere in the United States. And sometimes they're such a mess, we just keep them and take care of them. That kind of gospel trouble is where you'll meet God. I promise. So, if you want to be Christ-like, then get ready to take some heat. It's going to be hard. So what? It's going to be hard. Matthew tells you it's going to be hard. God says it's going to be hard, but it's worth doing anyway. So my question to you this day is, at this moment in your life, what does God want you to learn? And then once you've learned it, what does God want you to do with it? And who is God calling you to take risks with and for in this part of your life? God wants you to learn, and God wants you to be God's disciple. And God is calling you. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of what is God calling you for? And are you brave enough to listen for that call? I pray so. Amen. Amen.